Welcome to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the Kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. join together this morning in pastor's prayer as I just lift us up. Would you join silently and agree? We pray, dear Heavenly Father, direct our hearts and minds to your greatness this morning. Show us the beauty of the Trinity and let our focus be on your holiness and your worth. Thank you for providing all that we needed this week. You have not withheld any good, but have graciously given us grace, mercy, and even trials and tribulations in order that we might turn our gaze towards you in thankfulness. Forgive us if we failed to do so. Our hearts betray our fickleness and the remnants of rebellion that we harbor deep in our soul. We repent of these behaviors and attitudes, and we humbly ask for your spirit to come strengthen our resolve to obey you, to refresh our spirits, and restore the joy of your salvation so freely given to us. Jesus, we come to honor you as King and Savior. Without your sacrifice, we are helplessly lost in sin. Yet because of your love, we have been made righteous before a holy God, not due to our own devices, but due to your perfect obedience and atoning death. Please bring us before the Father in your prayers this morning, that we may see a revival in our hearts and a renewed desire to serve the Creator. Send the Holy Spirit to churn up our hearts and fertilize us with the word of God that we may respond humbly to its call. We pray this in the name of Jesus. God's people said, amen. Take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 16 as we continue to talk about kingdom living, a life of sacrifice. This morning, as we see that the kingdom of God has called us to sacrifice, we see that this week, It's the sacrifice of self. As in your Matthew 16, we see that important phrase where Jesus asks, Who do men say that I am? And we see all the different types of of, uh, answers, but eventually Peter says, You are the Christ. Jesus says, You are correct. The Spirit has shown this. And I pray that the Spirit has shown these things to you. So as we see, that's the foundation of, of the kingdom is the fact that Jesus is the Christ. And for all those who proclaim that Jesus is the Christ belong to the kingdom. So here's the question. Do you belong to the kingdom this morning? Have you said Jesus is the Christ? Have you submitted to his kingship, him as savior and him as our king? That's the call to each and every one of us this morning. And if you are here today and you, like the Apostle Peter said, yes, Jesus, you are the Christ, we must sacrifice. Jesus, in sharing with Peter that he must then begin to suffer and die, Peter said, none of that is ever going to happen. I will not allow it to happen, he said. But what did Jesus say to him? Get thee behind me, Satan. Those are the words of Satan, of the devil, the father of all lies. He does not believe any sacrifice is needed. He doesn't want Jesus to sacrifice himself, and he does not want you. But Jesus said, 
it is necessary that I go and sacrifice. And with that, the call goes for you and I also to be part of the kingdom means to live a life of sacrifice. And in this case today, a sacrifice of self. We're in Matthew chapter 16. We're going to read just parts of that, looking at verse 24. It says, And Jesus told His disciples, If anyone would come after Me. Remember, that was the message of Jesus. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Come, follow Me. Even in the passage just a little bit earlier, He says, Anyone, you must come, follow Me. And He says, If anyone would come after Me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow Me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for My sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is coming or is going to come with His angels in the glory of His Father, and then He will repay each person according to what He has done. Father, we would just pray that You would just join with us this morning as we share Your Word. Father, I pray that You would open up our minds and our hearts to who You are this morning and to the wonderful grace that's found in these words. Lord, let me speak words that are edifying and building up. Lord, I pray that all distractions will just uh, disappear. Lord, I pray that you would bring our attention to your word, and may we respond to the Holy Spirit's work. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. Verse 24, Jesus reveals a very serious and very demanding command. He says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now, those are some strong words. Many times we are guilty of sharing the gospel in which all you have to do is to enter the kingdom, to go to heaven, to be a Christ follower, is to say a simple prayer, repeat after me. Just believe on Jesus and ask Him into your heart. And those are all very good turns, but yet we must realize that that's just the beginning for there's more to it. The reason I share this and why it's deep in my heart because I believe there are many people who are professing Christ today who are not truly in the kingdom of God. They might have said a prayer. They might have said, yeah, I believe in Jesus. But it's just an intellectual assent. It makes no meaning or dealing in their life. The word of God is just something that they read. The commands are just something that have become great suggestions. And we're living our lives exactly the same. We've just added Jesus as our spiritual guru, an example as anyone else might be. Jesus has some strong statements. He says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And first he's saying, you've got to deny all that you are. You've got to deny your dreams, your aspirations. You've got to deny those things that are important to you, and you have to follow me. What do you think it means to follow Christ? For some it means, well, just come to church, read my Bible every once in a while, and say amen at the end of a prayer. But to come and follow Jesus is so much difficult. The disciples could not do it in the beginning. They fled Jesus. But in this case, he says, come and die with me. 
He says your badge of honor is to carry up a cross and walk to the hill as a criminal, as one who is disregarded and cursed. To follow Christ means to be willing to give up all that you are and all that you have. The Bible likens the gospel, the kingdom, to the pearl that is of great price. We don't think of pearls. But we think of a, you know, a clan that has a pearl. Pearls are very expensive. And he says it's one person who sees that pearl and sells everything that they have so they can attain that pearl. Or finds a, a treasure in a field and then goes all that they have, sells everything so they can buy that field to have that treasure. For many, they don't want to go to hell they want to go to heaven, and they kind of like Jesus, but to be honest, they're not willing to sell all they have. He may be a great trinket, but he's not a great treasure. Is Jesus just a trinket that you wear around your neck, or slap on your bumper sticker, or just something you put on, or is he a treasure in which you're willing to give up and say, this is the most wonderful thing in life. What does it cost to become a Christian? I'm going to share with you it's going to cost all that you have. Everything that you dream of, everything that you hold dear must be let go if you're going to truly hold on to Christ. I want to share with you an outline from J.C. Ryle and I, I'm beholden to him and so I don't want to just give you a new will. I want to give you one that's gospel-oriented. J.C. Ryle was an Anglican bishop of Liverpool in the 19th century. And he wrote this. He says, I grant it, it costs much to be a true Christian. But who in his sound senses can doubt that it's worth any cost to have the soul saved? When the ship is in danger of sinking, the crew thinks nothing of casting overboard the precious cargo. When a limb is mortified for us, and if it's dead, it's green, green, a man will submit to any severe operation, even to amputation, to save his life. Surely a Christian should be willing to, to give up anything which stands between him and his Savior in heaven. A religion that costs nothing is worth what? Nothing. A cheap Christianity without a cross will prove in the end a useless Christianity without a crown. I was just speaking to someone yesterday or the other day, I, I remember who it was, and they happened to be in a, a place, uh, what well, was Lori, Lori Ladauscher. Many of you know her, she's uh, bedridden at this time, she's in the facility, please reach out to her, phone calls, uh, phone, uh, phone calls, cards. And visits. It's in our email that we give out to you each week. If you don't have that, please let me know, and I'll make sure you get that. But as she was sitting there, she goes, she was talking to Dustin, and she goes, you know, I, I miss coming to my church. You don't know what you miss until you can't do it at all. She hasn't been able to be with us for over a year, almost a year and a half, a little over a year and a half almost. And it doesn't look like any time soon that she's going to make her way in, though we continually pray that God one day may be able to bring her back into our services. 
She goes, so I miss the services. I miss Rob's preaching. Can you believe that? I miss the time together with friends and, and my family. But she goes, so sometimes I'll turn on the TV and I'll turn on one of those popular prosperity guys who talk about God and say that all God wants is everything good for you. Continue to, to plant a seed and sow a seed and, and God wants your best day and He wants all your days to be Fridays and He wants to turn your Mondays into wonderful things. And she looked at him and says, I watched that, but what does that have to do with me? I'm bedridden. I can't get out. How does that gospel presentation, if you'll call it a gospel, how does that help me? How does that edify me? How does that bring me closer to God? There's a truth to that. Because we're, we're teaching and preaching a real cheap Christianity to many others. We're selling it as a song or as a poem and even as cheap movies and trinkets putting other things out other than God. You see, Christianity is going to cost you something. And we're a people who want something for nothing. And if that's you, let me tell you, you're not yet ready for the kingdom of God. The Bible tells us to count the cost. For how can a man go into war unless he counts how many soldiers he has and if it's enough to fight the one who's coming or sits down and builds a house and never budgets? Let me ask you, have you counted the cost? Are you right now counting the cost and saying, boy, I thought uh, uh, all I wanted to do was go to heaven. I didn't want all this other stuff with Christ. He's asking way too much. But let me share with you, he hasn't asked for enough. He's worth it all. He tells us in verse 25, and I'm going to add my phrasing with that, he says, for whoever would save his life now will lose it at the end. If you want to save your life and have your best days always be Friday, always payday, always going out, always enjoying it, you can have that now. You just won't have it at the end. But he says, but whoever loses his life now for my sake will find it at the end. There is a famous study, I think I gave it out in, in the email this week, study in which they took these toddlers, this scientist, and he set all the kids in a little room, and on the outside was one-way mirror with cameras and things of that nature, and he set before each of the little children one little fluffy marshmallow. And he set him in there, and as they set that marshmallow in front of him, he says, you can have this marshmallow now, or if you wait 15 minutes, I'll give you two marshmallows. Now, I don't know the end of the study, but they're into getting near their 50s, and he's getting ready to go back to those children and see what happens. Was there a difference between those who wanted instant gratification compared to those who were willing to wait? And it's going to be an interesting study. But what are we? We are people that want instant gratification. I want my life now. One of the, the, the I don't know if it's, it's something that's now to this generation. I don't think so. I think it's, it's been every generation. 
when they get into their 20s, they want what their parents have now. They want the house. They want the cars. Things that took years for their parents to build up, they want it now. Doesn't that seem to be how we want it? We want everything now. You know, we're that way. I don't like to wait for my food and cook my food. I want it now. I want life to give me everything now. We don't like cost, but it says here, he who would save his life now will lose it at the end. But he who will lose his life for my sake now, he'll gain it. You see, kingdom living requires you to give away your life. Romans 12.1 tells us, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. All that we have is a reasonable service. Why? Because He's given us life. He's renewed us. He has saved us. And our reasonable response to Him is to give that back. A kingdom living requires you to give away your life. As well as we go on to the next, we see that a kingdom-focused believer is committed to give away their life to fulfill God's purposes and God's priorities. So let me ask you, are you a kingdom-focused person? Are you ready to live for the kingdom? When you check your day timer and your checkbook, is your life marked by kingdom priorities and living for the kingdom? Do you dream for the kingdom? Are you saving your money for the kingdom? Are you ready to give up your life? J.C. Ryle answers this question for us in four ways when we ask the question, what does it cost to be a true Christian? And that's what I want to share with you this morning. Four things that it's going to cost you to be a true Christian. And as we go through this, I want you to truly ask yourself, Father, does this describe me? Father, in which ways do I fall short? It's time for you and I to count the cost, for he's asking for it all. So what does it cost to be a true Christian? Number one, it's going to cost you your self-righteousness. It's going to cost you your self-righteousness. You must cast away all your pride, your high thoughts, and all those thoughts of you, me, and I. You must realize that there's nothing about you that deserves kingdom or deserves heaven. We've sung many uh, verses of song this today that have shared those very things. For you and I have sinned. The Bible tells us that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It says there is none who seek after righteous, no, not one. It says that we are disobedient children. We're in rebellion against God. That is our natural born state. Whether you are 90 years old, 5 years old, or a little infant, you are born in sin. We must recognize that. Those are harsh words, strong statements, but it's biblical. And what you and I do is we attempt to make ourselves right with God. When you think, why are there so many different religions? Because all of those religions are trying to justify themselves and make themselves right with God. Their excuse is to say, this is how I make myself a better person. And hence why you'll find many religions have religious rules and regulations. Those are ways in which we can keep track of how good we are. I remember growing up as a young man, you could tell you were a Christian by the way you wore your hair. 
Was it above your ears? Was it above your eyebrows? Or was it above the color of your thing? We would have hair checks each day in our Christian school. You would be walking a certain way. You would listen to certain type of music. You would dress and act and, and not go to certain types of places. This is what it meant to be a Christian. Or they, that's the way they try to teach you of how a Christian ought to act and walk. Not that there are some Christian principles in there. There are. But yet we are very good at making these things. For those of you who have been in the Catholic or Lutheran churches, you understand those things. There's ways in which you say, you must do this, you must do this, you must do that. And you know what? Those things are very appeasing to us or pleasing to us, are they not? They help us feel better. If I confess my sin, if I do a sacrament, if I went to catechism, if I come to church, if I give some money, those things help us feel better. Honestly, is, does, do they not? It's the thing that we check off. I do. Do you ever feel guilty when you, when you go through a day and you realize, you know what, I didn't even open God's word once? Sure, of course you did. Or I didn't share the gospel or I didn't do this. That's Satan's way of getting back. He wants us to try to work our way to heaven. That's what Hinduism is. That's what Buddhism is. That's what Muslim is. It's every religion is works-oriented. Unfortunately, many times we've taken Christianity and we try to boil it down to the thou shalt and the thou shalt nots. We've even added a few on our own. But let me tell you, the thou shalt and thou shalt nots cannot rescue your soul. For the Bible says that we are not saved by works, lest any man should boast. But we are saved by grace. Wonderful, marvelous grace. And so if you're here today, and you're boasting in yourself about how good of a person you are, you need to sacrifice that right now on the altar. Your self-righteousness will lead you down the wrong path. We see that in the scriptures with the Pharisees, with the scribes, and the rulers. The religious people typically are the ones who are relying on their self-righteousness. To be a true Christian, it's going to cost you your self-righteousness. Take your Bibles and turn to Philippians chapter 3. So let's look at verses 2 through 9. You'll see the Apostle Paul. If there is any man that we would say, boy, I would love to emulate him. This man was a kingdom-focused person. He was a kingdom-living he says, look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. He's speaking as a Jew. And he says, in the Jewish tradition, uh, we can tell who is Jew by circumcision. We can tell because the Gentiles and the heathens, they are dogs. And we put confidence in our heritage. We put confidence in who we are. But look what he says, verse 4. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh, in my works, in doing good works, also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. 
In other words, do you want to do you want to tally him up to see who's more righteous and who's better? He goes and I say, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. As to the law, I was a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness and the law, I was blameless. For whatever I gain, he says, for all the things that I could boast about. For any of those things that would make me above anyone else, I counted as lost for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. I count them as trash in order that I may gain Christ." plead with you this morning, would you just count all things as lost? No more is it on who you are, who you were born, who your grandmother was, what church you went to, what your confirmation or catechism is. No matter what it is, none of those things matter. To follow Christ will cost you your self-righteousness. For those who are kingdom living, rest in the righteousness of Christ. The only way that you and I stand right before God is not because any of our good works, but that which Jesus did for us. When he became a man, grew up, was perfect obedient to the Father, and gave his life as a ransom on that cross. And Christ has raised him from the dead and has seated him on the high authority of the throne. And now he sets as our righteousness. We sung about that in Jesus Messiah. By one man's sin did sin into the world, but by one man's obedience was righteousness given to those that follow him. Kingdom living is resting in his righteousness. Don't trust in your righteousness. Give it up. It's going to cost you that. The second thing it's going to cost you is your sins. It's going to cost you your sins. You say, well, I'm ready to give those up. <laughs> okay. Which of your pet sins did you play with this week? For many of us, our sins are like a puppy store. We go in there and we look at all the little puppies. You know, you go in there and you look at you play with them. You see how they play around. Oh, look how adorable this one is. Oh, look how pretty that one is. Oh, can I come out and play with it? See, that's how many of us are with our sins. Oh, we know that our sins have been forgiven. We know that Christ has separated us and there's no penalty, but yet we like to keep our sins around. And we go around every once in a while and we hear that barking. Oh, I can't look at that. Oh, look at that. We start tapping on the window. Remember, you're not supposed to tap on that window, but we're tapping anyway. They come, they play with us. And eventually, what do we do? Let's take this one out. That's how we are with our sins. Well, I need this greed or this gossip, this pornography. So we use all these types of sins. And we keep them kind of on a string. We, we tap that window and say, oh, I remember you. You're a cute one. Oh, look how playful. It might be nice. That's how you and I use our sins. And then we put it back. Oh, I shouldn't have done that. Oh, look what that dog did. He made doo-doo all over my shirt. Now i got to clean that up. Oh, Lord, forgive me. Am I somewhere close? That's how we are. 
See, God didn't come just to cleanse you from your sin. He didn't come just to take those away. He came to kill that sin, to destroy that sin. For that sin still comes into your life. It still destroys families. It destroys relationships. It destroys the example that God has in it. It destroys your testimony. And many of you can say amen to that silently because you're no way going to say it out loud because you know it's true. Even this week, your heart is heavy. Maybe you're even blocking the blows as the Holy Spirit is speaking to you now, saying, yes, that's me. I've been playing with the barking dogs this week. I hope no one can see the mess that's inside. It's going to cost you your sin. You must be willing to give up every habit and practice which is wrong in God's sight. Kingdom livers walk by the kingdom. We must set our face against it. We need to quarrel with it. We need to break off from it. We need to fight it. We need to crucify it. We need to labor to keep it under. Whatever the world around us says is good, we must not call good if it is evil. Take your Bibles and turn to Colossians chapter 3 if you would. You and I need to understand this. For we say, oh, I said the prayer, but let me keep my puppies around. By now you should know that puppies is synonymous with sin. I want to keep it. I want to put it to tribute. He says, no. For the one who follows Christ must set his eyes towards that treasure. He's gotten rid of all things. Look at Colossians chapter 3. Look at verses 5. He says, put to death. Put it to death. Therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, uh, passion, evil desires, covetousness which is idolatry on account of these the wrath of God is coming in these you once walked but when you were living them but but now you must put them away put away anger wrath malice slander obscene talk from your mouth do not lie to one another seeing that you put off the old self with its practice put on the new self which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of the creator if you're here today and you're still playing with the little puppies stop put it to death what is it that you're harboring what kind of kingdom living that you're living in which you say i can still do this no no let me tell you you cannot play with sin and not expect to get messed up, and then to spread that to your family and to your children. Those who are kingdom living must die to sin. And die to sin says that I don't see the puppies, I don't hear the puppies. I continue to walk. See, the problem is you don't see sin for what it is. You see it as cute and cuddly, and you feel like you're in control of that sin. But let me tell you, that tail is wagging that dog. If you have today that besetting sin, that little pet sin, let me tell you, you know that that's wagging you. You need to get rid of it. You need to kill it. You're going to, have to, you're going to be willing to put that to death because to follow Christ means to die to sin daily. That's going to be a struggle. That's not easy. We're going to have to fight with sin our entire lives. You will never reach a day of perfection until Christ takes you home. 
That's the promise of glorification. In this day, you and I must fight with it. And some of you are in the trenches, and you're battling as mightily as you can, and you feel like you're losing. Let me tell you, you don't need to fight that battle alone. Stop. You have a whole army of Christians that are here that are ready to come behind you and say, let us help you, let us prop you up. Like Moses, you need two people to hold your hands up in the midst of the battle, lest we falter and lose. So find people to be accountable to. Find people to, to, to be honest with and say, I'm struggling with this issue in my life. And you know what? I just let me say, let's quit saying it's an issue and say it's what it is. It's sin. We always like to say, oh, it's an issue, it's a problem. It's a habit. And I use those phrases. Some reason, some way, we've taken sin out of the Bible and out of our words and out of our music, and we don't even talk about it. If you're not loving your wife, you're sinning. If you're not praying for your husband and loving him, you're sinning. If you're not being loving to your children and taking care of your family, you're sinning. If you're not sexually pure, you're sinning. If you're looking at things you shouldn't be men, that's sin. And let it not be so among God's people. It will cost you even that. Those who are kingdom living must die to sin. But let me tell you that when there is sin in our lives, and there will be, let us put our hope and trust in our Savior who still forgives us. For He says, and here's the gospel, if you confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin. In other words, some of you are knocked down, dragged out, bruised and bloody and you're yet to engage someone in that fight, but also realize that when you're dropped down and you're dragging a leg behind you and your arm is just limping because your battle with sin has been so tough and difficult, the grace of God is still here. And people of God, let us embrace them and let's love them and let's not be judgmental about them, but let us hold them dear and pray for them. There is an article that Dustin and I were reading about how many churches are starting to waver when it comes to same-sex attraction, gay marriage, and so on and so forth. And these are difficult times. And many are wondering, what is it that we need to do? What is our response? And here was my response. I pray that God will lead us, people who struggle with SSA. They give an acronym for everything. I pray that God will give us someone who's transgender. I pray that God will give us those who are struggling with drink and struggling with drugs. I pray that God will give us the single mothers that are just down at their luck. Why? Because they need the gospel. And we have the answer. And within this room is the love of God to come and embrace them and share with them the gospel. Amen? Let us pray for that. Let us not be so holy and so such a church that says, well, we never want that to enter our door. I pray that they're here. I pray that if you're one of those, that we can share with you the gospel and see that there is an answer. But it will cost you your sin. So let it go. Die to it. Number three, it's going to cost you your life of ease. We love life easy. We were just talking about that. We all want something for nothing, right? We want life to be nice. There's nothing better to, than to come home from a long day work just to go home, sit down, and watch TV. One gentleman was talking to another and says, how's life going? You've been married for a while. Things have been going well. He goes, yeah, it's been great. When we first got married, I'd come home, 
and my wife would bring me my paper and, and my dog would be barking for joy at me and, and life was nice. And he goes, was that still good? He goes, nah, now it's my wife that's barking at me and my dog that's chewing up my newspaper. But we like our life of ease. We want things to be easy. And unfortunately, that's what many people are peddling today. Accept Christ and life will be a bed of roses. Accept Christ and your problems will go away. Accept Christ and your children will love you. Your boss will give you a raise. And your wife and husband is just going to be just so in love with you. You'll get a new car if you accept Jesus. Your mortgage will be paid if you accept Jesus. And by the way, accepting Jesus cures baldness. I'm here to tell you that's not true. Since when did Jesus just become some add water and stir? Jesus didn't live a life of ease, did he? Stephen didn't live a life of ease, nor did any of the disciples. You and I, have many of us, have a Bible. And by the way, if you need a Bible, please let us know. We'd love to give a good Bible in your hands for free. But how many know how many people died to give us the Bible in English. Tyndale, Coverdale. Many died because they translated the Bible into English. Their ease was gone. It's going to take pains and troubles if you're going to run a successful race. Paul tells us that. Like a, like a soldier, you and I must watch. We must keep, keep, uh, keep watch during the night. We must realize that the, the battle is never done. During World War II, an Air Force colonel was piloting a B-29 bomber. And during an attack on Tokyo, his plane lost two engines. Home base was over a thousand miles away. The colonel said to his crew, I have never believed in ditching a ship as long as it's flying. Let's try to make it home. So they threw out everything they could do without, including the ammunition and the armor. The colonel landed the plane on the uh, sands of Sampai and was decorated. What is he telling us there? That if you and I are going to make it safely home, speaking of heaven, there must be some things in our life that you and I need to throw overboard. There are some things in our lives that we need to jetson because they're dragging us down. And sometimes that means friends. Sometimes that means relationships or some type of activity. It could be an exception like greed or poison or destructive habit or an unhealthy relationship. It could be racism. It needs to travel light. We need to realize that we can get a lot farther in our Christian life without bulky baggage that continually drags us down. So what is your world vision here? You're thinking about yourself. It's, it's time to realize that it's not about making life comfortable. Anything that requires exertion and labor is entirely against the grain of our hearts. That's just normal and natural. But the soul can have no gains without pains. Take your Bibles very quickly. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. See, it's going to cost your love of ease. Life is not about just sitting down and watching hours of DVR, and watching games. And sipping a cold one and just letting life be nice and finding ways to make work easier. 
He tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, look at verse 24. Paul says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercise self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath. But we are imperishable. He's contrasting two things here. He says, so I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one who's beating the air. But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I may myself should be disqualified. In other words, it's going to cost you a life of ease. The Christian life is a life of work. It's a life of fighting. It's a life of training, of studying, and doing the things of God. Those who are kingdom living, willingly labor for the king. Let me say it again if you're taking notes. Those who are kingdom living, willingly labor for the king. So many of you are laboring for everything but the kingdom. You're living life for the now. This life will not last. You will not take a U-Haul to heaven with you. You don't see one following a hearse. You're going to be buried with all your stuff, but it will not be raised up on the last day, on the last trump. And fourthly, it's going to cost the favor of the world. It's going to cost you the favor of the world. He must be content to be thought ill of by man if he pleases God. We're finding that out more and more in America as we become less and less of a nation that understands the Christian principles that we're going to be hated, we're going to be maligned, we're going to be called that we're bigot, we're going to say that we're intolerant, we're going to say that we're racist. All these things, we need to give up the favor of the world. We're not looking to be made friends of the world. We want to make friends of those that are in the world. But he says not to be a friend of the world. Luke quotes Jesus saying, Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. There are so many people who want to be taken as accepted by the world. There are scientists who will not stand up for intelligent design or creationism because they want to be accepted by their peers, so they go along with the theory of evolution and all that entails it, even as it falls by its foundation crumbling. There are others who will stand up and say, well, you know what, I want the world to love me, so I don't care what the Bible says. Maybe you yourself are tempted at this moment to say, well, I'm for all these things because it's just the way that we need to go. The Bible is outdated. The teaching of the church is outdated. It's not relevant today. We must change with the times. But let me tell you, we're not to curry favor with the world. It should not be the thing that we're looking for. John records Jesus when he reminds his disciples that the world cannot hate you, but it hates me. Quit taking it so personally. Quit being offended by the world. Because he says, I testify about it, that its works are evil. The more that we say that it's evil, the more that we point out the folly, they're going to hate us. They're going to want to marginalize us. And too many times, we have people who say evil is good. Let it not be said of those that are kingdom living. 1 John tells us, Do not love the world, nor the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You and I need to cast away everything that hinders us from following the kingdom of God. 
you and I need to understand that we need to give away. It's going to cost us our self-righteousness. It's going to cost us our sins. It's going to cost us our love of ease. And it's going to cost us the favor of the world. Why do we do this? Because the Son of Man is going to come in verse 27 of Matthew 16 with His angels in glory and He will repay each person according to what He's done. Look at Romans 2. Let me show this to you. He says that God will render to each one according to His works. To those who patient and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, He will give eternal life. For those who seek the kingdom, for those who are sacrificing their self-righteousness, their love of ease, their sin and the fate of the world, He says you will gain heaven. But for those who are self-seeking, but for those who love their own righteousness, who love their own sin, who love a life of ease and curry favor with the world. He says, those who do such thing and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be what? Wrath and fury. Let me tell you, be a kingdom follower. If you're here this morning and you've decided and you said Jesus is the Christ, He is the Savior, then be a kingdom follower. Begin to sacrifice those four things that are holding you back from truly following Him as He's called us to. Begin praying for each other. But if you're here today and you've yet submitted to the authority of Christ, you're not yet in the kingdom, let me share with you, today is the day. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Recognize that you cannot make yourself right with God. Recognize that Christ has accomplished all that's needed. Repent from those dead works of trying to do good to make yourself right for God and trust in the works of Christ. Believe that He is the Savior, that He died for us, and that our sins are forgiven for those who call upon Him. The Bible says that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And doing so, you say, I'm ready to follow Him. I've counted the cost, and He's the treasure above all treasures, and I commit today to follow Him. Would you do that this morning? Would you do that? I, as your pastor, and I pray that my church will stand beside me and say, you will not walk alone. Would you follow Him? Would you sacrifice it all? Father, I pray that you come to us this morning. Strengthen our hearts for this tough sacrifice. Help us to see that following the kingdom is not just a simple prayer. It is not just intellectually ascending to who you are. It's not just putting a bumper sticker or wearing a cross. Father, that it's going to cost all that we have. I pray that we would count the cost and still find you treasurable. Help us to understand that, Lord, there are things in our life that we must kill that we must deny ourselves, that we need to pick up that cross. The life of the kingdom is difficult work, but I pray that you would make us worthy for that. And Father, thank you for your grace that enables us to do so. We pray this in your name. Man, I'm going to ask with every head bowed and every eye closed. I'd like for you to just take a moment, maybe with your bulletin, and maybe you can make some notes. Maybe you can just write down a few things. What is it? that due to this message is the Holy Spirit calling you to do. Is He calling you to kill or put to death one of those four things? If so, would you ask for Him to do so?
you need to join the kingdom, would you cry out and say, come to me. For those who seek him will find him. Spirit, thank you for strengthening us this morning. Continue to work in our hearts. Lord, I pray that in which way you're calling us this morning, as your grace comes and envelops us, may it give us the courage, the boldness, and the strength to choose you. Thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith at orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.